Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, folks, I'm excited to bring in this next guest. Now, believe it or not, Tony Bobbitt inspired me to bring in my next guest. <clears throat> Tony said I had to do a podcast in which I did the ultimate Bearcat list, and I knew just the guy that I needed to bring in. He is a host of an afternoon radio show on ESPN 1530 and works on the Bearcats football and basketball broadcast. I'd like to welcome in my good friend, Mo Ager. What's going on, Mo? You know, you've had a pretty illustrious group of guests over the last couple of weeks. To to be included among them is I'm serious, is is flattering. That's cool. I'm 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 honored to be asked. Well, you know, listen, you, you do such a great job, I think, with your radio show, but I think the way you deliver things and you know, just even with everything that's going on right now, mm-hmm. to be able to come up with and deliver content right now, um, you have to be kind of really good at, at doing that, and you've done a great job. And, and when Tony had mentioned this to, to start the ultimate list, and I said, who could I bring in to help me out with this? I immediately thought of you. No joke. So thank you for doing this. I'm I'm uh, I'm flattered, honored. It's uh, it's always fun to talk about UC basketball. So you know you know how big of a fan I am. So to to get a chance to do this with you is is very cool. Yes, sir. Now, how are you surviving with everything? I know your world's changed a little bit. Yeah, you know it's. I mean, you put it in the context. Uh, I'm working from home. Obviously, uh, doing a, a sports talk show is it's it's a little challenging, more so than than usual. Um, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm healthy. My wife is healthy. My daughter's healthy. We, we, at times we do go stir crazy, but all in all, um, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, better than, than many and probably not as good as some, but we're, we're doing okay. Yeah. Now, how many shows have you done from home so far? Uh, two weeks worth. So we did, when this first started, um, you know, I was still going in, and and then it, you know, I, I've got the capability to do it from home, and then it mm-hmm. it just a um, to kind of help give my my wife a hand. She's been home more. She she works in healthcare, but she she works on on elective procedures, so many of them aren't happening right now. So she's been home a little bit more, but you know, we we sent our daughter to daycare. We we wanted to stop doing that. Um, before they shut them down. So from a, a home standpoint, it made more sense to be home. And then I just think, you know, you, you can't go on the air and tell people that they should be doing the right thing and quarantining and social distancing. And then if you have the, the capability to socially distance yourself from as many people as possible, not do it. So it's less than ideal, but we're getting through. And 
I, I enjoy the commute a lot more where instead of sitting in a car for 25 minutes, I just go upstairs at the end of the workday. So that's not bad. Right. Do you think this will change up radio that you'll do more, you know, not only you, but just other people will do more stuff from home. Will this become a norm? I hope not. Um, I, for me, no. I mean, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to do in a pinch. I've done it before where, for uh, whatever reason, um, you know, my, you know, my, my wife had a, a minor surgical procedure last year, and so it was outpatient, but I had to take her, uh, had to drive her home. And then by the time I got back, it, was, it, just, it didn't make sense to drive to the station. It was better to use the time to prepare for the show, so I did it from home. But no, I, you know, number one, I, I like, it, it's, it's, just, it's easier to work with people for me when you're with them. And mm -hmm. you know, I work hand in hand with a producer who you know well, uh, Taryn Bland. Yep. And and I look, I I got into radio because I like being at a radio station. I like my coworkers. Uh, I I like, uh, you know, I I just I like the environment. So I um, it, it, as soon as it makes sense, I will rush back. Uh, I <laughs> I hope it it doesn't it doesn't you know create a a scenario where people are doing their shows from home because I just don't think you can do it quite as well. I certainly don't think. I'm I'm doing my show quite as well from home as I I would be if I was in the studio, um, you know. So you know that it's it's a temporary thing. I hope, but no, I I I think I would speak for most who are doing something similar. I can't wait to get back, and and also from a technical standpoint, you're kind of limited with with what you can do. You know, a lot of a lot of what we do is based on nonverbal cues uh, when you're working with somebody. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to do nonverbal if if you can't see the person you're with. So I I can't wait to get back. Have you had trouble with content? Uh you know, I, it's 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 certainly been challenging. Um, Trouble with content for me is the the microphone goes on and you got nothing. And if that's the case, you know you're you're in the wrong business. I I think what you I think I think what I've done is I've kind of told myself, look, the audience is going to get it. You might be regurgitating some stuff you've done over the last couple of months. You might draw a topic out longer than you ordinarily would. I have found myself, and I've actually enjoyed this, and this should be a, a permanent part of the show. I have found myself uh, drawing out phone calls a little bit longer and actually having conversations. And to be honest with you, we're, we're kind of trained to let the caller make his point, then move on. Yep. Um, we're, we're certainly doing some, some things that are a little bit more caller-driven, uh, you know, like for instance, we <laughs> we were doing um, what's your least popular sports opinion? Um, ordinarily, you know, you're you're so kind of beholden to what's happening in the moment. Last night's Reds game, or what the Bengals just did, or what just happened in UC basketball or Xavier basketball. Uh, so it's given us a little bit more freedom. It's given us a chance to experiment. I, I think uh, we're really trying to keep it light and as normal as possible because. I think there's an audience for that. I think there's people who, you know, maybe they're stuck at home and they just want a sense of what their normal daily routine is, and maybe that's listening to to a sports talk show or, hey man, the you know the the, the other the the news everywhere else is so grim. Let's let's pop on a sports outlet and get a slice of fun and normalcy. So we're trying to be that, but it, it, it's been challenging and it's going to be even more challenging the the deeper this goes. But yeah. You know, that's to me. That's why you sign up for this. That's why you you, you yep. get a job like this. You embrace the challenge. You embrace the. And I'll say this. Um, you know, the people who listen have been 
uh, very forthcoming. We, we've solicited ideas. We've solicited topic mm-hmm. ideas, and uh, and they've worked. So it, it it's been you know it's been challenging, but it's been in a weird way fun. And and maybe you know once things are are back to normal, there's elements of what we're doing now that we can kind of make part of what we do moving forward. Yeah. So you, and you said you know this is this is what you signed up for, and I, I'd like to take a step back and kind of go through your history. Now you went to Scott High School. I did. did. What sports did you play? <laughs> I poorly played basketball, and I poor, very poorly played uh, baseball. I was good at neither. <laughs> I, I okay. was dreadful at at both. So your your bas- I'm more obviously fascinated with the basketball career. Uh, can you take us through the basketball career just just quickly? So yeah, so you know we moved from here when when I was a little kid. We you know, I was born in. Northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved to New Jersey. We come back, uh, and high school sports in New Jersey are—I don't want to say they're not a big deal, but you know, you don't turn on the TV news and there's high school basketball. There's nobody like Alex Meacham doing uh, high school basketball insider. I mean, it right. just—it doesn't happen. Right. So I moved to Northern Kentucky, and high school basketball is a pretty big deal, um, and better. Quite frankly, uh-huh. <laughs> it's just it's it's better. So I played in New Jersey. I, I didn't play. Uh, you know, I didn't. I barely appeared in games in in Kentucky. And and you know that was uh, an indictment against how crappy I was. I think it was also a statement about just the, the level of play was was better here. So I wasn't very good. We as a team weren't very good. Um, but I enjoyed. Be, I I always enjoyed being on a team. I always took great pride in in being a good teammate. Uh, kind of understanding, you know, what I what I wasn't. Uh, I never had uh, illusions that I was a a better player. That I was being screwed by the coach, or you know, mm-hmm. that my my work uh, that I would do on my jump shot and my driveway was going to ever you know manifest itself in a great high school career. Uh, I just I like being on a team. I like being on a I like being on a baseball team. Uh, and you know I. I it, it 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 didn't take me long, well before I was in high school, to realize that I had severe limitations when it came to athletics. But I loved playing. I mean, I, I still love playing. I still, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right before all this uh, happened, I was playing uh, three on three in my in-laws' driveway uh, on a nice weather day, and I'm like, man, I still love doing this. I still like to play, and I certainly didn't embarrass myself. Right. But no, I was a terrible, I was a terrible high school basketball player. Now, did, at that point when you were in high school, were you interested in broadcasting? Or was yes. that something that came late? Okay, so you, no. you were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, and you know, I'm asked this all the time. I can't tell you when the moment was, but, um, you know, I, I, my parents were big radio listeners, and and I, you know, my. my 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 parents got divorced when I was really young, mm-hmm. so that meant it, we were always in the car a lot because my dad lived about forty five minutes away, so he would get me on the weekends, and that's a forty five minute car ride, and he was big into sports talk radio, and then we were always driving from New Jersey to Cincinnati to visit mm-hmm. family relatives. Uh, I spent my summers here every year until we moved back in in Taylor Mill, Kentucky. Literally the the last day of school. The day after, they'd stick me on a plane or drive me to northern Kentucky, and then I'd come back Labor Day weekend. So my grandparents would listen to the radio 
nonstop. So yeah. talk shows, Reds games, you name it, music. So I, I was always fascinated by the simple concept of you say it in the microphone here and it comes out of the person's speaker over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that always fascinated me. It still does. So I always wanted to be in radio, not television, in radio in some capacity. The sports part of it was a component, but, but for me, the it was always just – if you asked me when I was 18 years old, what do you want to do, I, I, I would have said, I want to work in radio. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how you did it. I didn't know what it involved. I didn't know if it paid well. I didn't know anything about it, but I, I was always – uh a dork a nerd who was just really sort of interested in in uh radio broadcasting and um that also should illustrate for you growing up what my what my dating life was like because there's not a lot of girls who are going to say yes when you jump start the conversation by talking about the the talk show that you listened to last night (laughs) right right but you know but you know what back then the times are so were so different than they are now um I kind of had the same situation where my father was a big time talk radio listener from a radio standpoint. So, and he would play it in the house. You know, we would have our boom box and he would play it in the house. So I was listening to talk radio all the time when he was driving me from practice to practice or wherever I needed to go. It was talk radio. And now things are so different with the apps throwing your, um, uh, your headphones on and, and people are walking and listening. Oh, oh, I missed part of Mo's show. I'll catch it on this podcast later. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, you know, people absorb things differently now, but, um, and I've always found that um, just fascinating how people from even our generation and before got involved with, uh, with broadcasting and that, that led you then you go to UD. Yeah. University of Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, what, who was on when you were there? What were the teams like? I'm trying to remember what years you were there and what the teams were like. The basketball teams. At Not very good. So when I got there, if you remember, um, Dayton was invited to the Great Midwest with UC mm-hmm. in '94 uh, and '95, mm-hmm. and then Conference USA starts. All the schools from the Great Great Midwest go to Conference USA except Dayton. Dayton got left <laughs> holding the back. So they move into the Atlantic 10 the same time Xavier did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't very good. They made the NIT my junior year. Uh, they were never an NCAA tournament team. They made the tournament actually the year after I graduated, which I graduated in 99. But still to this day, my all-time favorite player is is a kid that, that was a contemporary of mine, Ryan Perryman, who is still one of the, the best rebounders in, in school history. Mm-hmm. They had a, a point guard who's actually done some radio for them named Josh Pastorino, who was uh, I, I really liked. They had uh, uh, Kobe Turner, Edwin Young, guys like that. Um, they weren't they weren't very good, and that that's a big reason why you know I became a UC basketball fan when I was uh, 13 years old in in uh, November of 1990. And then, you know, I'm going to go to UD. And honestly, I, I didn't really ever follow UD basketball before I got there. And then I'm still a UC fan. The Bearcats are still really good during all of my four years at Dayton. Dayton basketball is not. And so people ask me all the time, well, who do you root for more? And I go to Bearcats in large part because I, I they're grandfathered in. I, I started rooting for them when I was a kid. 
and the flyers were never good enough to, to really grab my attention uh, while I was at school there. So I'd walk around campus with my, my Bearcat crap on. So I still get a lot of grief from that from like hardcore flyer fans who don't understand, but they just, when I went there, they, they weren't, I I went to a lot of games, but they just weren't that good. And that, that flyer fan base though, man, I mean, I go to game. I remember, I forget what year it was. I went to a game and they, they, I said, let me go to, a game where I know a lot of people probably won't be there. That's what I'm telling myself. And I can't, I can't remember who they played, but it was one of, you know, Southeastern, whoever (laughs) that place was sold out. Mo and people were going crazy. Like the fans love UD basketball. And I'll tell you what, I think they've got a great one with Anthony Grant. Um, And obviously they had a great season, but I got a pretty good Anthony Grant story for you. Yeah. Now I do, I don't know and I need to when I see him again I'm going to ask him this question but so um I had seen Anthony Grant like years ago he was an assistant with the Florida Gators and I'd seen him several times in Florida introduced myself and then he was uh, at Alabama and I saw him again and he kind of remembered me and we're at an AAU national tournament in Florida and he and I are actually staying in the same hotel and he was in the workout facility and I was walking in and I said, hey, Coach Grant, I'm Alex Meacham. I've mentioned before. He kind of remembered me and uh, said, hey, um, you know, I'd love to come to a practice, you know, come to a game, you know, just, you know, check you out, whatever. <clears throat> so he's like, yeah, let me let me give you my number. So he gives me his number. Uh, time comes. I said, let me call him. He's going to answer. I'll text him and see, you know, if I can, you know, come to a practice game. He gave me the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, it was some old lady <laughs> gave me completely the wrong. Now I finally got the right. Now I never did ask him though if he did that, you know, on purpose. But even though he did that, I mean, what a great job he did today, this year, and in the season they had along with obviously Toppin being one of the best players in the country. I mean, will they ever get that back again? Like that type of team. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a piece, and you're not going to like this, but I I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago, sort of drawing the comparison between them and and uh, Kenyon's senior year. Now, the, the circumstances are are not similar. Uh, you know, the, the Bearcats when Kenyon broke his leg still got a chance to play in the tournament, but um, there's still this, you know, 20 years later, this sense of what if? What if he's healthy? Do they win a national championship? And Flyer fans are going to do the same thing forever. We're never going to know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe in the second round they run into a a team from a major conference that beats them up on the glass and, you know, the Flyers can't recover and they exit early. Uh, Maybe having a a lottery pick enables them to to go to the final four for the first time since, since uh, 67. I mean, we don't know. And that is, but what, what's frustrating about that is, When's the next time a guy like Obi Toppin's going to show up on the Dayton campus? You know, Kansas yep. is going to be really good again. Baylor is going to be really good again. Kentucky is going to be really good again. Um, and not that Dayton can't have really good teams. They should. They should be one of the best teams in the league every single year. But there's a major difference, as you well know, between being good and being special. Dayton was special this year. And so, you know, they they should be NCAA tournament regulars. but. Are we going to see Dayton uh, as a one seed ever again? 
Are we going to see them go undefeated in their league ever again? Are we going to? Are they going to have a player of the year ever again? Are they going to have the coach of the year ever again? Probably not. I hope so, but probably not. And so that's, you know, that's why it's. I think it's a more bitter pill to swallow than it is for any other fan base in college basketball right now. Yep, without a doubt. Well, hey, let's let's go ahead and jump right into this uh, this Bearcat list here. Um, got quite a few. Uh, <clears throat> I think. I've got some here that I'm fascinated to hear your opinion. I think you'll be fascinated to hear my opinion. So so here's how I'd like to do this. All right, we're going to go top three. All right, that's going to be the list. We're going to run through a bunch of different top threes. I'm going to let you go first. Let's go three to one, okay? Okay. And you'll go first, then I'll give you, you know, my list. If you want to explain why you have, you know, a certain player in a certain spot, please feel free to do that. So I want to start with your top three favorite Bearcats ever. So whenever I'm asked asked a question like this, I I always compare it to how I am with music. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go through stages where, um, you know, I'm going through like a Beastie Boys stage, and if you ask me, you know, what's your what's your favorite what's one of your favorite all time bands or groups are beastie boys and then i'll go two years without listening to them mm-hmm. so i'll i'll go i'll get into this kick where i'm like you know damn melvin levitt's my favorite college basketball player of all time yeah and then a month later it changes so but the three constants and this is this has actually changed over the last couple of years uh nick van exel's at the top of the list because uh like a, a lot of kids a lot of people my age he was he was the guy that you kind of pretended to be in the driveway, you know, yeah. fearless shooter, you know, really the first star that they had uh, when when the program got got good again. Mm-hmm. Kenyon, I mean, you know, if 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 any fan doesn't say, you know, Kenyon Martin, what are they doing? That that senior season was so awesome. I just I love what he represented from a guy who. His freshman year, when when he would occasionally be put in the game, looked totally lost. To a guy who the next year was able to dominate on one end of the court, and then by the time he was a senior, I mean his game was just—it was so well-rounded. He was so good. He was so dominant. Um, and you know, looking at it from afar, I, I always just thought it was really impressive how he handled success. And Gary Clark's in my top three. Uh, here's what I love. I love college basketball players who don't try to do stuff they can. Yep. Uh, in four years, how many times did, did Gary not get back on defense or commit a stupid foul or take a, an ill-advised shot? He, you know, he had bad games. I mean, he had, he had a iconically bad game against Xavier one year, but I just, I like him as a guy. I, I loved him as a player. He was, you know, sort of the, the best player on a really good team in uh-huh. in 2018, and uh, you know, getting a chance to spend some time with him, I, I think he's he's the real deal. So, uh, those are my favorite three. Now, you know, I could spend the next two hours talking about other people who have you know jumped in and out of that top three list over, you know, for whatever reason. But but those, I feel pretty comfortable with those three. That's good, good list. So let me give you my list. And my list is based off of I think growing up having these players inspired me, not only inspired me to want to play for the Bearcats, but just to play basketball in general. Number three, Herb Jones. Um, Herb Jones, uh, in in my opinion, 
um, that final four year, um, I know Nick gets a lot of the credit, um, but Herb, he carried that team. Mm -hmm. He he was fantastic. And I, I, I remember, and I told this story with A.D. Jackson when I interviewed him, and, you know, I think a lot of times in sports you, you try to imitate, you know, players and what they do, you know, imitate Michael Jordan's fadeaway. We saw Kobe do that. Um, I would imitate Herb Jones' backpedal. <laughs> Sounds crazy, right? But I don't know if you remember, Herb Jones would score and he would backpedal all the way down to the other end of the court. And he would do it so fast. I would imitate that on the, the middle school team I played on. And the coaches would go, where did you get this from? And so I'm telling A.D. Jackson the story, and he tells me, he goes, man, that is so funny you say that. He goes, if you go back and you look at that team, Herb Jones was on the front of the press because Hugs was getting so pissed that Herb would always backpedal back on defense. That's why Herb was on the front of the press. Hmm. And I said, that is crazy. Herb Jones, uh, number three. Number two, Roger McClendon. Um, when I first was introduced to UC basketball, Roger McClendon was the star. He was a great person, would always talk to me after games when I was a little kid, go ask for autographs, um, high-level scorer, you know, play a lot of his college career without the three-point line. Um, I would imitate his jump shot in the backyard, jump up, kick my legs to my butt, just, just like he did. Roger McClendon is number two. Number one, Nick Van Exel. Like you said, the the first, you know, real star. Um, Nick Van Exel will always be. I know you said, like, sometimes things change and, you know, you shift players around your list. Nick Van Exel has always been uh, my number one. Those are my top three. I've got no issue with any of those guys. Okay. All right. Now, this one I think we're going to have some differences here. Top three best dunkers of all time. So your listeners are going to notice what they'll, they'll perceive as a pretty egregious omission. I'll go – so I'll do what you did. I'll go three to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Jason Maxiel, mm. and who, like, is, like, the star that nobody talks about. I mean, I, mean, I remember, like, Jason Maxiel's freshman year thinking, like, this guy's going to be unbelievable. And he was very good, had a really long NBA career, but – he he's one of the most ferocious dunkers they've ever had. Now, like, you know, people think of dunkers, they think of wing players, guards, small forwards, artistry, athleticism. For me, it's it's often about power. Mm-hmm. Jason Maxiel, you know, he and Kenyon, are, I think, are the most powerful two-hand dunkers they've ever had. Yeah. Number two is Lavertis Robinson. Ooh, Vert. Like, he... Six five, he would do the center jump because that's how high he could get up. He could get up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, you would you would watch them at six five. He'd have like a a six ten dude towering over him. Sometimes looking at at Vert like, who's this guy? Right. Um, you can't find Lavertis Robinson on YouTube. I've tried, but he was he was a lot of fun and in some some way kind of before his time. And then, I mean, come on, it's Melvin Levitt, right? And so I know what people are going to say. They're going to go, what about James White? I don't think James White was as great of an in-game dunker as as people remember. Um, certainly a guy who could get up there, but I, I just I don't have a ton of memories of him doing it in games. And Mel has the most iconic dunks in, in program history, oh, no question. It, in, including against Duke to win 
the game. So, you know, Mel's got to be, Mel's got to be, and he jumped over at what a car at Midnight Madness. Like, come on, like golf cart, golf cart, a golf yeah. cart. Yeah. So, those are those are my those are my three. Probably most fans aren't going to have those three, but that's okay. Well, I've got one, and I think a lot of people like. You said with Lavertis, a lot of people forget about this guy. Curtis Bostick's number three for me. Um, I remember seeing in in the summertime when the guys weren't, you know, playing open gym or whatever. Curtis was in the gym working out, and I saw him do dunks alone by himself. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, he didn't always do a lot of those in the games, but Curtis Bostick's uh, hops along with, like you said, the power behind it. Curtis Bostick at number three. Um, now, your number one, I have at number two, Mel Levin. Um, and I agree. He's had the most iconic dunks in UC history. Um, and I was on the bench for, I think, every single one of them. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the one where he dunked on every single person in the gym, hung on the rim, uh, the Duke. Obviously, great in-game dunker. But when I look at this as the greatest dunker, I also put in there not just games, but also the dunk competitions, the midnight madnesses. I mean, James White, what what he did for me is number one. I remember, I, I tell this story. I was at Midnight Madness. I was finished playing. My career was over. And I'm sitting on the court. They had a bunch of former players back, and there were no more seats. And so I was kind of like sitting on the floor. And that's when James White took off from the free throw line and did the between the legs dunk. And Mo, I'm here to tell you, I played with Melvin, saw Curtis Bostick, saw a lot of greats. I had never in my life seen anything like that. Seeing him take off from as as far away, floating between. I mean, he he changed the game as far as dunking is concerned in, in my eyes. So got to go with James White at number one. Not a popular opinion, but. No, look, if, if you if you rolled in Midnight Madness, dunk contests, some of the stuff he might do before a game. Um, I watched him the Andy Kennedy year. They played in Vegas at, a, at an event that was at a high school. They played Dayton and LSU. And before one of the games in this high school gym, he's like putting on a show. Ridiculous. But, you know, for, for me to be a great dunker, like to be on that kind of list, your dunks have to count for two points. Um, and I just think of those other three guys as, like, you know, I can't, like Max's first couple of years, the amount of bad possessions they would have where he would devastate the other team by just grabbing it off the glass and throwing it down. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, people forget how – for people forget those, those long arms, just really athletically freakish. Um he was a better dunker than I think people remember. Yep. All right. This is an this is an important one. All right. Maybe the most important list. Top three walk ons of all time. So are you allowed to be included? Uh, on my list, I am not on my right. list. So I I left you out because that just. Yep. You that's know, fine. I, yep. I left you out because I didn't want it to be weird. Also. Does this include <laughs> football players? Uh, that's a good one. I, so I, I don't and I often get in a debate with this. Like I leave some of those guys that played football that have scholarships for football off of this, off of this list. Okay. But well, yep. so I, so I, I 
because I did three separate. I did three former football players, and oh, I think wow. we'll all probably have the same three. It's got to be Steve Sanders, Connor Barwin, and, and Brad Jackson. Yes. I mean, Brad Jackson tackled a guy from Detroit. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget that. Without, without a doubt. And he would yeah. tell you to this day that Hugs told him to do that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so uh, present company not included, I went – and I, I really didn't rank them one through three. I just – I jotted down three names, and so – I got to know Jackson Bart a little bit and his dad, and I like Jackson a lot. Mm. So I put him on my list. Um, I I really like John Meeker, and mm-hmm. he is somebody that I've had a chance to get to know a little bit, uh, you know, since his playing days, worked with a little bit. Um, but, you know, he was I, – I think I think he and you might be the two most popular among, like, students, mm-hmm. where, you know, in, in the final three or four minutes of a blowout, uh, fans would get really excited about either of you guys going in. I thought John handled that really well, and and really just even as a player had a great sense of humor about his his role on the team. Um, and I, I like Zach Tobler a lot. Yep. Um, he he always looked to me like he really fit in well with the guys, like they really liked him. Mm-hmm. I, I always think that dynamic is interesting. Like when you watch the walk-ons get in look at the bench and see, you know, see which ones they're really excited about. Mm-hmm. When Zach would go in, you, you, and, and part of that is the mix of guys, but you could just tell, like, the guys wanted to get him the ball. The guys, you know, really rooted for him to do well. And, you know, you can't say that about all of them, but I, I just – I always thought that spoke highly of him. Like, he must be a really good teammate in practice. He must be doing everything that the coaches ask if they feel that way about him. So I've always, I've always really liked Zach. Good list. All right, my top three here. I'm going to start with number three. I'm going to rank them in order. Brandon Miller. I'll tell you why. Of all the walk-ons, not including football, Brandon, I think, was the most talented of all of us. Um, yeah, Indian Hill, he, he he could play. I mean, he could have played college basketball. No no question. No Outside question of the Big East. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, his first year, if you go back and look at the stats, I mean, he played in games. I mean, he played yeah. against Louisville when it counted. So he played in quite a few games. Uh, Brandon's by far the most the most talented. Number two, uh, Tobler. Um, and I've known Tobler since he was in eighth grade. And a great story is uh, when Tobler was in high school, he loves rock and roll, like hardcore rock and roll. And that's his pump-up music. And when I find out, you know, he's – going to walk on at UC and with the cup calf and so I'm talking with them I'm like you know that rock and roll stuff's not going to fly <laughs> like you, you 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 realize this is a different dynamic like Tobler goes fishing on the weekend he listens to rock and roll I said this is a whole different dynamic and I tell you what that kid just embraced everything and those players like you said fell in love with Tobler it was to the point where players were going fishing with him on the weekends, like tons of the guys. It was incredible. And the dude had a hashtag that appeared on the Jumbotron. That's right. That's right. All the time. Like, that's incredible. All right, so number one, and I think, and I tell him this all the time, uh, John Meeker, um, for me, hands down, um, he kind of put everything together, like being a walk-on. The funny thing was when I was a walk-on, it was kind of a 
Hugs didn't know what to do with me. Like he had had walk-ons before me, Steve Sanders. Steve played. Yeah. Like, J- Jerome yeah. Gray. Jerome Gray came in from Miami Oxford. He was six foot six. He was recruited by Joby Wright. You know, he played at Toledo Scott. He was a big time player. Then here's me. He didn't know what to do, how to figure things out. By that time, with Meeker, Meeker had the personality. He could play. He was fast. He was just he just loved being there. He embraced the whole thing. He created a brand. So I've got John Meeker at number one for sure. I it's always always fun to watch. Uh and and that's when I was traveling uh with the team, but you know, the teams he was on, they had really big dudes. I mean like really big guys. <laughs> and John Meeker to this day looks like he's about twelve years old. <laughs> Still. And I mean, you know, you would you would watch them go through warm-ups and be like, I mean, did, is this kid's dad a big booster? Like, <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, he just, he, you know, like a lot of time. I mean, like you fit in. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you could look over at the bench and, and you, you know, maybe not tell you were a walk-on. With Meeker, you wondered, like, <laughs> what? Are, who is that? Um, yeah, so that that end of it will always hold a, a special place in my heart. Oh, no question. Top three uniforms of all time. And Bearcat fans, and you're on Twitter a bunch, you know, they talk about gear, uniforms, shoes of the past all the time. So, obviously, this is a big one. So, top three uniforms of all time. So, they all sort of run together. If I'm going three through one, if you remember uh, the 93-94 year, they – they adopted these really kind of hideous uniforms with ugly looking shorts. Um, and then they come back the following year. So now you're thinking Fortson's a freshman, Lizelle's a senior. They were a little bit more streamlined. Um, mm-hmm. They were, neither of them had a lot of red in them and they had block letters. Those are slick. I was watching, um, it's actually a game they lost against Maryland on YouTube maybe a week mm-hmm. or so ago. And I like those uniforms. I like the um, 95, 96, 96, 97 version where they rounded out the letters instead of blocks, Nike, pre-Jordan. Mm-hmm. Those are always cool. If you're a real dork, you could tell the subtle differences in the 96 and 97 versions. Every Bearcat fan has the the ones they started wearing in November of 97 until... I think March of 2002 block Jordan, the, the, the tank tops that I don't even know what you call it, but they were the sort of wider on the shoulder. The, the ones obviously that we associate with Kenyon senior year, but yep. here's the thing about those. The first time I ever saw them, I hated them no. because they were, they, yeah, because they were just different looking like, okay. you know, we grew up a basketball jerseys, a tank top. This didn't look like a tank top. Right. Yep. right. Um, the the blocks on the side didn't make sense to me. The um the sea paw on the player's ass looked kind of stupid. <laughs> and in large part because that year uh they wore them, you know, nobody thought they were going to be very good and then they end up being good enough to get a two seed in the tournament. They grew on me because I liked the team so much. And then uh-huh. you know, by the time, you know, by the time especially when they started, you know, breaking out the the black ones, which are the best ever, because yeah. the first time they ever wore them were for a couple of home games. They're white and you're like, okay. And then they, you know, you see the black ones, and it's like, all right, I see what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those are the best ever. Those, those are, if we yeah. were to do a list of best college basketball uniforms of all time, it's in the discussion. And I can't tell you how many people that I've met, and I tell them, yeah, I'm a big UC, you know, Cincinnati Bearcats basketball fan, and inevitably they'll go, hey, I'm not a Bearcats fan. In fact, I hated those teams. But, man, those uniforms were awesome. Yep. And time. those are the absolute best. Yep, no question. And I'll go I'll go in the other order. I'll go one through three this time. Definitely the Jordan brand uniforms. Two, the Nike, like you talked about. But I loved those nineteen ninety four uniforms, the the Dantonio ones. Oh. I think those are the ones you told me you didn't like. Yeah. I tell you they yes, they were bad. But they look like beach shorts. <laughs> I loved I, I actually asked Lizelle if he still had those and he still has those shorts. I'm like, Lizelle, man, I've got to get a pair of those shorts. But you know, one of the reasons I liked them, they were so different for that time. They were they were ugly. They were they were they were very different. So and Dantonio, man. That's another guy that I've got to get on the podcast, Dantonio Wingfield. That I think you're guy. gonna I think you're gonna hear me say that name in our next category. Top three <laughs> underrated bearcats. <laughs> So I'll I'll throw an honorable mention to Deontay Vaughn because they just asked him to do so much. And, you know, on a better team, does he have the point totals that he had? No. But, I mean, good God, they were at times only competitive because of how good he was. Um, so I'll, I'll go I, – I didn't really list these one through three, so I'll sort of – I'll just read them in order that I wrote them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yancey Gates. Um, Yancey's a 1,400-800 guy. He was on two NCAA tournament teams. He uh, he was on a Sweet 16 team. You know, I mean, he was the first local guy that Mick had. He was a big building block, man. And, and like, people threw these expectations at him that were ridiculous. Uh, people talked about how he didn't play hard, and, you know, he got booed sometimes. And he didn't have, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't a guy that you would go, boy, he just that that's a just a workaholic on the court, but I mean, take him off those teams and, and what do you have? And and you know, they went for a long time, really between Yancey and, and Gary, where they're they're four and five men. I mean, there's a lot of Sheck Mudge that uh, <laughs> you know Don't don't, I don't ever say that name again. <laughs> I don't think we want. So you know, Yancey had a really good college career and in real time you know, and I, I was guilty of it. Uh, I, the first to tell you I was guilty of it. Where you're like, God, I wish this guy would do more. Yep. But look at the, the body of work was was really really good. Herb Jones, um, for for every reason you said why he's one of your favorites, could guard every position. Um, was really the backbone of that team. Really, arguably the best player on on the Final Four team. Uh, just like did everything. Um, I think led him in scoring, if if memory serves me correct. He was he was phenomenal. And as as a player in real time, you wouldn't say Dontonio Wingfield was underrated, but but nobody ever talks about him. I remember the first game against Butler. I think he scored the first eleven points of the game. He scored. He had thirty and twelve. And I think people kind of forget: a, they had five top one hundred guys in that class with Damon Flint, Jackson Jolson, Marco Wright, and Darnell Burton. But the crown jewel was Dontonio Winfield. And, like, that, that's a class that included Rasheed Wallace, Ray Allen. Um, I think Randy Livingston was the biggest recruit. I mean, it was a huge class. Mm-hmm. And Dontonio Winfield was like a top – it was a huge get for Bob Huggins. And 
you know, he was a newcomer of the year in the league. They they called him Baby Shaq, but he shot forty percent from three. Yep. Like, it, it, you know, he he declares early. He's the only freshman taken in the entire '94 draft, so you know he declares early. Now it's no big deal, but it was really eye-opening then. And you just think of those teams in the mid '90s. Imagine Antonio Wingfield and Danny Fortson playing together. No oh, man, how do you stop them? I mean, right. you, you you literally can't. And I, I think with the passage of time, people have forgotten. Um, you know, they remember a lot of the off-court stuff. I hope that they uh, realize the way he's uh, turned his life around. But as a basketball player. He was really freaking good, and I think people kind of – the team itself wasn't that good. You know, they lost in the first round of the tournament, but uh, he, you could make the argument he is the most talented player that they had across a very long stretch of time. He was that good. I would totally agree with that, 100%. That's a good one. I didn't, I didn't think about Don like that. That's a good one. So kind of like you – I, I didn't put these in any order. Um, it was tough to put them in an order, but I've got Keith Greger, the iron horse of UC basketball. Just the number. I mean, he and I talked about this. The number, at one point, he was the leader in games played and consecutive games played. He was just so consistent. Um, A.D. Jackson, um, I could go on and on and brag about A.D. Jackson and all the things he did, not only for – the team at that time when I think that, that Hugs era started to really turn a corner, but he took a back seat and changed positions. Um, so Nick could come in and he did a lot to sacrifice his own to help the team. And then Darnell Burton, man. Um, yeah. Cowboy. Like, and, and he gets lost. I think sometimes with that Lazelle conversation, um, Darnell could shoot the basketball. Like, I mean, he he was cooking some games, and and LaSalle, obviously Lazelle could shoot at such a high level. People would forget about how good Darnell Burton was. Which leads me to top three point shooters. So I will go in order here. I am going to give another honorable mention because I didn't realize this till I looked it up. Most of your listeners, if you asked them who is number two all time in three-point shooting percentage at UC, minimum 100 attempts. Do you think anybody would guess that Justin Jennifer is number two all-time? <laughs> like, you know, remember last year, his, his senior year, he would always make, like, the first three of the game? Yep. And then it might be the only points he ever scored. Like, he took extremely wide-open shots, and he made them. You know, not not early in his career, but I don't think anybody would ever say he was a great three-point shooter, but he took great three-point shots. Uh, and I didn't realize that till I, I looked it up. Um, so I will go in order here. I'll go Field Williams number three, uh, this, the, the only guy minimum 100 attempts to shoot 40% or better. Uh, very good outside shooter. Really, there was a stretch of time where Bob Huggins would always talk about, like, the incoming recruit, who is next. And then the guy would show up, and you're like, "Man, Rod Flowers sucks. What are you talking about?" But he would he he talked incessantly uh, about how Field Williams was going to come in and be a great three point shooter, and he was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Darnell Burton, for every reason you articulated, I just when I think of him, I think of of two things. I think of you know their offense around Danny was different because it was throw it in the block, wait for a double to come. And Darnell would just get so many open shots off that. And also, 
like you would you would see him come off the bench as soon as teams would go zone, he'd make two threes and the team would come out of that zone. I mean, he was and he made a lot of really big shots. Made the shot against Tulane on the baseline screen where Hugs gets thrown out in '96. Again, they were losing the whole way, and he makes uh, a three at the buzzer. Great shooter. If we were to do a list of the best uh, nicknames, the Gunslinger's number one, so he's going to be my favorite three-point shooter, in large part because of the nickname. Um, if he plays four years, he's probably still got the most threes in school history. Yep. Hits the game-winning. They counted it as a three. They shouldn't have, but it's still it was a three. The game-winning three to beat St. Louis in the great Midwest final in 95. Uh, everybody remembers the three free throws against Wyoming, but like Lazell Durden, uh, could gun it. He had a game against Temple in the NCAA tournament where it felt like he made a thousand threes. Uh, and he was the gunslinger, man. I mean, he's still the yep. greatest nickname they've ever had. So that for me is he's number one. <laughs> no question. Uh, yeah, I mean, my list is is very similar to yours: Darnell, Field, and Lazelle. Enough said. And I'll, I'll tell you what: if and, and listen, I think Lazelle is the, the the greatest shooter in UC history. However. If there was a three-point competition that was set up like the NBA three-point competition, I would venture to say Darnell Burton would be everybody. And and the reason I say that is because if you remember his motion to shoot the basketball, there was very little motion. There was yeah. very little effort. And it, he would, you know, you have to take that ball, and, and people that shoot in the NBA uh, three-point competition tell you how tough it is to grab the ball off the rack, which is an unnatural movement, then go shoot it. He had so very little movement. I, I think he would beat Lazelle, Field, Tony Bobbitt, whoever, whoever else you want to put in there. So, all right, top three game moments. Um, so. I struggled with this because I was I was I was sort of trying to think of like not the obvious ones, right? But anybody who was watching, or in your case, on the bench, when Mel dunked against Duke, like mm -hmm. it's been uh, almost 22 years. There's not a time that I've seen that where I haven't gotten goosebumps <laughs> or remembered or remembered being at the B Dubs in Rookwood. Uh, you know, they had closed the place down and we're watching the game because it tipped off at midnight. Like, that was – I'll never forget that. So that that has to be on the list. Um, so I, I got a, an honorable mention, which is uh, Deion Dixon's dunk against Florida State. Oh. Where they – you know, That's they, they, they That's go to the Sweet good 16. One. Very good. Um, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned one already, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. Um, when I was a senior in high school – I was allowed to go to Milwaukee uh, to the Great Midwest Tournament. Mm -hmm. M my parents let me go with a bunch of people who were in college, and that was a big mistake by them. But they, they played. So <laughs> first time I'd ever seen UC play outside of the city of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I saw all three games. Durden hits the shot to beat St. Louis. If you remember, St. Louis inbounds. Erwin Claggett heaves a shot that hits the rim, doesn't go in. But the Bearcats win. That was awesome. And um, because it was the ultimate, I can't believe this is the play, when Donald Little made the shot against Marquette Ooh. in 2000, a Friday night game, and they got yeah. all these guys that you're expecting are going to take the shot, Steve Logan, um, Leonard Stokes, Jason Maxiel, and Emmanuel McElroy, and Donald Little 
makes an outside shot to win a game? <laughs> like, who on earth? Right. Who on who on earth would have imagined that? So, uh, I'll 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 do. I'll do that. I could, I could, I could have a list of fifteen, but there's, there's my, there's my three plus honorable mention. Those are good. I like that. Um, Two obvious Great Alaska Shootout, uh, Lizelle, Wyoming, but the one that I have on here too that for me being there uh, was was a huge moment. Steve Sanders shot first Minnesota. Yeah. Um, that will always be one of my favorite moments, um, being young, not, not knowing who Steve Sanders was at the time was, I think added to the whole story that people forget about walk on from the football team. And he had shot, let's see, I think two air balls prior to that game winning shot. And a lot of these people in the crowd didn't even know who Steve Sanders was. So I've got to put, Steve in the mix there for those three. So, you gonna say something? No, I mean, I you know, there's I remember that uh, so well. Um, God, you know, there's so many that come to mind. Satterfield hitting a game winner against Memphis and at the Pyramid in, in 2001, which came at the end of a year where he had missed like five of those sort of shots. Um, Logan throwing one off the rim to tie Memphis in 2002, force overtime where they. They uh, they win like there's Kashmir Wright's shot against Alabama. Uh, mm-hmm. God, I I could, but yeah, I'll stick with my list. But uh, that was that was when you when you gave me the categories, that was the one that I had the most fun with because again, I could I could keep going with that one. Yep. All right, top three most important players. So we're we're going to we're going to leave Oscar out of it, right? Yep. Because. <laughs> Goes without saying, he's yep. the most important guy. Yep. Um, again, not. I'll go in chronological order, um, and I'm leaving out a lot of dudes. But Kenyon, he's the player of the year. Like he's the one guy that like everybody could agree on. Uh, he's beloved by this uh, by this fan base, by the university. Um, I mean, even like when he sort of wrapped his arms around the program again, like I I think that did wonders. Um, and just, you know, I mean, I think if you go around the country and talk UC basketball, you know, I mean, he's he's one of the first names people are going to mention. Um, right. I, I I got kind of a wild card here. Uh, Danny Fortson. And, 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 like, first of all, obviously great player. But go back to what UC basketball was, Hugs' first four years, right, where athleticism, they press, they swarm you defensively, score in transition, make threes. And then for the next ten years, once Danny arrived, the the brand was was different, not not good or bad, but just different. Where rough and tumble, they're going to each up in the half court. You are in for a fight when you play Cincinnati. They're going to have these big, huge, hulking dudes that just push you around. And Danny was like the first of those guys, um, and and just a really good player too. I mean, you know, think of of the kind of numbers we're 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 talking about if he plays as a, as a senior. Um, good free throw shooter, ferocious rebounder, um, and and probably of of all the guys they've had, the guy that I would least want to fight. I mean, just a, a rock. Of, I mean, just a rock of a dude. And and like he was the, the first of those guys that sort of, you know, kind of built that brand of 
if you drive to the basket against the Bearcats, you are going to get hit. So I put him on the list. And then Sean Kilpatrick, because yes. he was the first, um, you know, and people debate how great of a player he was. He had a lot of games where the, the shooting percentages weren't great, but he scored a bunch of points. That's okay if your team needs that. And he played on teams that needed that. Uh, he played in four NCAA tournaments. He should have been, for my money, the player of the year in the league in 2014. All-American. And, like, the first star that Mick Cronin had. I mean, he had, you know, good players that, you know, came in beforehand. But, you know, he was, like, the first the first guy that we're talking about being the player of the year, the first guy that we're talking about being an All-American, uh, the, the first guy that I think, you know, you ever would have said should maybe have his jersey retired. I, and, and, and he was, you know, I mean, among the leading scorers in the program's history, he was on a Sweet 16 team. I, I, I think SK's importance to this program can't be uh, talked about too much. So those are my three. I, I'd agree. The Sean Kilpatrick one, I didn't think you would have that one, and that was like the one I was going to talk about. So I, you killed my thunder with that. You said it perfectly. The other guys I have are, are kind of usual suspects, Kmart, Ben Estrell. So we're on the same page with that. All right, let's go to two more topics that I want to kind of have some fun with. Top three Bob Huggins outfits. So I'll give you three, and then I'll give you my absolute least favorite. Okay. And, and like, for me, they're not like – some of these aren't. Well, he wore this for this individual game. He would go through phases. Mm-hmm. My favorite, in, in large part because he was still slender-ish, would be like your, your last year when mm-hmm. it was just mock turtleneck black pants. <laughs> and sometimes he would start the game with a suit coat and then like a minute in, throw it away or give it to somebody. Uh, it just – to me, it was like simple – it was all right. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dress up as much as I have to. It's it's sort of laid back and casual. I thought that was and and that was a time in my life where I was like, sort of helping out this high school basketball website, and I'd go to all these high school basketball games, and you had this wave of high school coaches that were wearing mock turtlenecks. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you're not Bob Huggins, man. <laughs> so there's also and this is on YouTube. They played. Uh, in 94, 95, they played um, a three-game event over Christmas break in Hawaii. And uh, they lost two of the games, but they played Arkansas. And, and Arkansas at the time was a behemoth. Um, had you know won the title the year before. And the coaches all wear these Hawaiian shirts. Find the one Bob Huggins is wearing. It's, it's exactly <laughs> what you think it is. And, and it's funny because I remember watching it. I remember watching it. I was in high school, a senior in high I remember watching it. And then not that long ago, I found it on YouTube just looking for it, and it was as comical now as it was then. <laughs> I don't remember this. Yeah, oh, I find it. It's the, the Cincinnati versus Arkansas, like December of 94. Um, I'm telling you, it's as garish as you think. And then at the end of his tenure, when he was like, F it, I'm wearing windbreakers, and it looked like he was it, – it, it, I mean, it, it, looked like, it looked like somebody pulled him off the golf course to coach a game. Because <laughs> um, I've always, I've always been a, a, like I agree with what he, he has said. He's like, why do, why do, why do, we, why do I have to wear suits? Like, I mean, yeah. if you want to be like Jay Wright and wear a, you know, ten million dollar suit, fine. But it's a basketball game, and and to me, it was like I would always look at him and go, all right, when Hugs is done teaching gym class, he's going to have to teach driver's <laughs> ed too. Now, before you give me yours, I'll give you my least favorite. 
So, unfortunately, this brings up a bad memory because uh, he wore this in a game that they're, they're famous for losing. But in 2002, he went through this phase. We would, we would make fun of him by calling him Banker Bob, where he would wear these, three, these gray three-piece suits with a vest. And this is the look he wore when they lost to UCLA in 02. Mm-hmm. But he would get rid of the coat, and then it would be him and his vest and a shirt that he was, like, sweating through. And it was just horrific. Like, just look up. And, and it wasn't the only time he wore it to UCLA game. He, he went through this phase where it's like, hey, man, somebody tell Bob to go back to turtlenecks. Or... <laughs> but, like, look up 2002, Cincinnati, UCLA. The, the, it's an awful look. It's, it's, it's arguably worse than the mustard suit, and that obviously was terrible. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's my look, though. The, 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 I'm going to get to the mustard suit here in a second. All right, here my here my top three. Um, you said it with the uh, with the Jordan um, mock turtleneck, but you know one a sleeper too. I forgot about this. He wore the one uh, V neck windbreaker, the Jordan one. Um, he wore that for like maybe a year or two. I think during James White season, I wanted that pullover so bad. I looked, and what happened was he bought or somebody in the program had bought a Jordan V-neck, and they basically just got the C-Paul stitched on there. So it wasn't available anywhere. So I, I, I had to have it. I'm going to throw that one in there. Number two, um, it was my first year playing. We had an exhibition game, and I believe we were playing athletes in action. And we're in the locker room waiting on coach. We hadn't seen him yet. And we're all sitting in our chairs. Kenyon Martin's my um, – he's my locker neighbor, so he's right next to me. And in walks hugs, and he's wearing cowboy boots <laughs> and a Kooji sweater. I don't know if you remember this. And just like Biggie Smalls would wear. And Kenyon and I looked at each other, and we're like, he is not wearing this out there. And I'm like – so I thought maybe, or we thought, he was wearing, he was going to talk to us, we'd come out, and he'd be in a suit and tie. And sure enough, we're warming up, he comes out, and Kenyon's like, he is wearing that. <laughs> I need to find that picture. It was it was a classic. And then the, 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 the mustard suit with the, um, and, and people, a couple things I think with the, the mustard suit. I mean, he had the mustard, snakeskin, gator, whatever it was, shoes. But he he also had on yellow socks too. Yeah, like he he had the whole the the you know details are the most important thing. He had everything down with that outfit, and I asked him where that outfit is. Do you know what's in a museum right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny about that night is I was at that game, um, and you see, kick the crap out of him. Uh, yep. they, I think West Virginia still holds the Big East record for fewest field goals made. They made ten shots that night. It's terrible. And and it, that was a that was a, like a really good West Virginia team. I, I think that was the West Virginia team that went to the Sweet Sixteen, beat Duke. Like a really really good team. And uh, it was not a very good UC team. And yet they go to Morgantown, and they just kicked the crap out of them. And I remember being there, and you know the game's winding down, and I'm going, you know, if you win decisively wearing that it's funny if you get your ass kicked by the school you used to coach in your own gym 
you look like an a-hole. I mean, and I remember thinking, like, I, I, I bet you any amount of money he is he is standing there regretting wearing that suit. And it was, to this day, I don't know why he did it. Uh, I'm glad he's never done it since. But I just, I remember, like, looking at him going, you idiot. Like, you, you look like a jackass. It, and it has less to do with the look and more to do with the look plus what's on the scoreboard right now. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad combination all around. All right, top three. When I was thinking about this this category, you know, th- there have been players in the past, style wise, it could be hair, it could be, you know, shoes, w- whatever the case might be. <clears throat> you know, the Bearcats for a long time were just known for having players with individual styles. So, it, it, during your time watching, the top three most stylish guys or a style that you liked in particular. Uh, so the first name that comes to mind is a terrible player. Um, remember Ron Allen? Oh yeah. If you watch the team walk into the gym, you would think that's the best player on the team. No question. And it, it always looked to me like he, he ironed his uniform before he put it on. I mean, you, you could tell he knew he stunk, so he had to look great. Uh, and, and I mean, he carried himself and this is not a criticism. He carried himself like an NBA player. He called himself the little ticket um, he, when he would occasionally make a shot, he would like scream at the crowd, like, yep. Yep. "Buddy, it's it's uh, eighteen to thirteen, man! Like, you know, get back on defense." <laughs> but he looked immaculate in his uniform. Uh, he looked the part. Uh, he, he couldn't play a lick, but he came to mind first. Um, I don't know if these are great, but Ruben Patterson's name came to mind. Okay, because like he, he just. I mean, he just looked the part, man. I mean, he just, mm-hmm. you know, he just looked. You, 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 you talk about a guy who you wish would have played on the, you know, would have, would have, would have been in college in '92 or '93, where they really could have uh, just let him unleash him in the open court. But he, he just looked uh, great. Uh, I think he got his hair cut every single day. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I, and then I went with James White. Uh, James always mm. it felt to me like like brought something to the table. Um, you know, that's the it, it always felt to me like if you look on the court, all right, who has the best looking shoes? It's James. Um, yep. you, you know, you could just tell there's certain guys who, you know, really care about how they look, and and other guys who would be like me and go, you know, just give me the uniform and a pair of shoes and I'm good. And you could tell like James cared. Uh, he's a good player too. I mean, he's a very good player. So those, those are the three that I guess kind of leap to the top of my mind more than, more than anybody else. Well, here, and and my angle is just a little bit different. Um, I've got to go with, and I'm going to go in order. I'm going to go three to one field Williams Afro. (laughs) When, (laughs) When field unleashed the braids and went with the fro, that was that was a big moment. Um, number two, got to go with the Bobby Brandon barbed wire tattoo. Oh man! I mean, is that? Oh, uh, not- you know what? That is that is exactly right. <laughs> that, that is, is exactly right. <laughs> um, number one, uh, and I, I think for me this is number one, no question, because during his time. If you were to look in the student section and, and high school kids, I think he had a big impact on this. And that was Leonard Stokes' headband. Yeah, I mean, he had, yeah. He pe- people everywhere were wearing head, and he was consistent with the head. Like James White, 
was off and on with the headband. One game right. he have it, one game he did. Nope. Every game Leonard had one. It matched the uniform. Like he had different ones for different nights. That was his like brand. That was his look. So I'll give you. I'll give you my least the least stylish guy. This this just occurred to me. Um, one of the changes that they made when Huggins left is, you know, you could tell Mick was like, look, if you're not playing, if you're hurt, if you're on the bench. Uh, you've got to wear a polo. You've got to wear, you know, you've you've got to look. You don't have to wear a suit, but um, you, you know, wear something school branded. Wear a, a polo. Uh, wear your warm up, whatever. And I, I mean, I'll I'll never forget when Mike Williams transferred. You know, he's he's wearing a pair of slacks and a and a and a and an Adidas UC polo, and you would have thought he was a coach. Um, where before then, it was like wear whatever you wanted, and for yep. the most part, you know, guys were fine. But if you remember, for one year they had a kid named Jimmy Hubbard, oh, who yeah. again couldn't play at all, yep. and he—I think he hurt his back. So his one year he played, you know, five or six games, and then and then he never played again. But he traveled with the team. So the aforementioned game in Pittsburgh where they're playing UCLA, Jimmy Hubbard is on the bench, and he is in a pair of of jeans that look like could fit about four people, and he's got a T-shirt <laughs> on. Got a T-shirt on. This is in the NCAA tournament. He's got a T-shirt on that says "Drink till she's cute," and I'm like, <laughs> you know, this is on national television. It's the NCAA tournament. Like you're going to be in on the, on the outside of huddles. Like, I mean, come on. And I'm like, how does nobody pull him aside and go, "Hey, uh, put on a warm up." Like, go in your suitcase and grab anything else. But hell, dress for the game and wear your uniform. Like. It, did, it didn't offend me as much as it was like, you know, th- this program's reputation for a lot of reasons isn't great. How about let's not give anybody a reason to, to, to just rip these guys? And I, I don't know if the, the TV cameras ever showed them, but I'm sitting there with Dan and Chuck across from the bench going, we really got a guy. And meanwhile, UCLA's guys look like NBA players. I mean, you know, they're, they're dudes, they're, you know, what, guys who are redshirting or hurt or whatever. I mean, they've got on like, you know, again, slacks and UCLA shirt. They look great. And we got our guy, Jimmy Hubbard, who literally looks like he woke up next to a keg. So, least stylish, Jimmy Hubbard. That is good. That T-shirt is – oh, that's too funny. And I, I, I think I, – I got a friend who has Jimmy Hubbard's number, and I'm going to call Jimmy. I'm going to ask him about that, and, and we need to find that T-shirt. Yeah, uh, ask, yeah. honest to God, if, if get him, ask him about the T-shirt. And I just, I just want to know if anybody in the locker room was like, hey, man. How about how about you throw on a, a pullover? How about you throw on a polo? Uh, how about you wear a towel? I mean, um, and I, I guess I would have had a, more of a sense of humor about it had they won the game. But you know, they it's 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 like Huggins wearing the mustard suit. You got to trudge off the court. Your team lost, and you're wearing a shirt that says "Drink till she's cute." That's not nobody wants that. <laughs> now, I like to always end the podcast with quick questions, quick answers. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right. Question number one. If you're in high school, okay, Mm -hmm. if you were to say you would pattern your basketball game after one UC player, what player would it be? And and you're asking me this when I was in when I was in high school. Yes. Uh, It would be Nick because I loved his fearlessness. I mean, you know, Hugs used to always say if I had one guy to take a shot to save my life, it would be uh, Nick Van Exel. Mm-hmm. I just, 
you could just tell when that guy walked into the gym, there was a level of competitiveness that nobody on the other team would have. Um, he was a, a, a good, very good ball handler, uh, but you just you just think of his willingness to to let it go from pretty much from pretty much anywhere. That's that's a question I've never really thought. But like the guy that I would always try to be shooting in my driveway was Nick. So yep. I reserve the right to like call you at some point and change my answer. But right now I'll say Nick. <laughs> good deal. All right, you're trapped on an island. You could have one comedian, one musical artist or group band, and one person in history you just want to hear stories from. Who are those people? Start with the uh, All right, so uh, comedian would be Don Rickles because uh, he would spend the whole time insulting me. But <laughs> also would just have awesome stories from hanging out in Vegas with Sinatra and those guys. Uh, and he lived to be a 1,000 years old, so, you know, decades worth of stories. I'm, I'm a Bruce Springsteen nerd, so it would be Bruce as my, my musical artist and then person from history to hear stories from, you know, like the, the first person that comes to mind is, is like Neil Armstrong, because I imagine going through life where people are like, Oh man, this is what I did. And all you got to do is point up at the moon and go, yeah, I was the first guy that walked on that, <laughs> you know, but I don't know that after that, there would be anything really interesting. Um, that's a, that's a really, because history is kind of all-encompassing, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's politics, um, you know, discoveries, sports, music, uh, theater. God, that's, that's – I mean, you're asking me for, for, for one person just to get the stories. Um, man, that's, that, is, that is phenomenal. That, that is – Tough one? Yeah. No, nah, and, like, I, I don't want to cop out and not give you an answer, so, like – Hugh Hefner. Oh, those are the kind of stories you want to hear, huh? Yeah. I mean, okay. who who had more fun in their life than that guy? It's, it says a lot about me that two of the three people I've mentioned are dead. But, <laughs> I mean, Hugh Hefner, you know, was a hell of a businessman. And yep. uh, I would imagine that guy saw some things that would be fun to hear about. Oh, for sure. For sure. If you have uh, one talent that people would be surprised to know you have what's that one talent oh. <laughs> yeah i'm really gonna have to uh i'm really gonna have to think about that i could play the piano and the saxophone really yeah i'm better at the sax than the piano but uh my so my mom was big into you know you you're too crazy about sports you can be all about sports but you got to do other things so she made me take a year of sax lessons and I could still play uh, the piano. I could I could play. I could get by. I mean, I, I couldn't sit down with a band or anything, but I I could uh, I I could I could hold my own. I could do either of those two things. And like, if you if you put a gun to my head and said, "All right, you're gonna die if you don't play a recognizable tune," I could play a recognizable tune on the piano. Now, can you sing? Oh God, no, 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 uh, no ab, ab, absolutely not. All right, last question. I kind of think I know what you're gonna what you're gonna say. You could have one Reds World Series, single Super Bowl, or Bearcats National Championship. Uh, in basketball, it's no brainer. 
uh, a, I've I've lived through the Reds. I've I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it to me, it's just it's the one that seems the most improbable. Like, if let's say the Cincinnati Bengals have basically within a thirty-year stretch, twenty-five years of really good teams, at some point they'll win one, right? Mm-hmm. If the Reds have within a thirty-year stretch, twenty-five years of really good teams, they'll probably win one. Uh, with the exception of obviously, you know, 07 through 2010, UC basketball has always been good since, since I started caring about the program when I was in the seventh grade, 1990, right? In the one final four. It's it just, that's no knock on the program. Hell, it, Xavier fans can say the same thing. It's, it's why whenever I hear people talk about, oh, it's final four or bust, I go, do you, you realize how hard that is to do? Like, are we going to say that the last uh, every year since 1963, besides 1992, was a, was a bust because they didn't make the Final Four? So it's the one that I've always said is it's the team I it's the the team of of all that I root for that I care about the most. Um, it, it's it's one that personally I've had a chance to at least be somewhat, uh, very much somewhat close to. It's mm-hmm. the one that would mean the most to me. It's the one that I would. I just I. I've when they've been good, I've allowed myself to kind of mentally go there. Like, what would it be like if they actually won it? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I would react to that. Uh, I would be elated if the Reds won the World Series. I would be, you know, uh, head over heels if the Bengals won a Super Bowl. Um, but like, I can imagine those things. UC basketball winning a national championship. I just think it's it's so damn hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the one that I would that I would that I would take because you know again they've they've been so good uh, for you know most of my life and and yet you know uh, here I am 28 years after they went to the Final Four waiting for them to go back again and then once you're there you got to win two games against really good teams so that would be I can't even fathom uh, what my reaction would be if if uh, if if that happened. Yep. Well said. And hey, listen, Mike, I, I want to thank you as well. When I first started this podcast, you gave me the opportunity to come on the show, do a segment, talk about the Bearcats, and it helped me out a ton. It helped lead to, I think, where the podcast is now with the numbers that the podcast has, um, just kind of building it up. You really helped give me um, another level of a stage and a platform to present this. <clears throat> and now the stage of the podcast is at where I have former players hitting me up left and right, Mo. I just wanting to come on, wanting to talk, wanting to tell stories. I had a call last night from a guy, I'm not going to say who it is, that's going to come on. It's going to be fantastic. So I do owe a lot to you for giving me that opportunity. So I want to say well, No, it's, it's fun. I, I love having you on. You're a great ambassador for the school and for the program. And, and uh, you know, we get great feedback when you're on. Um <laughs> Hopefully by the time the season uh, we, we get we you know we we get to where we should be having college basketball we do have college basketball and you can join me on join me on a regular basis because I I get a hell of a lot more out of it than I'm sure you do but now this was this I'm honored to be on this was fun uh, I hope among the former players who reach out Ronald Allen didn't hear this uh, Jimmy Hubbard. <laughs> Jimmy Hubbard didn't hear them I'm trying to think of who else I might have insulted uh, I, I hope uh, Rod Rod Flowers. Uh, maybe it might be a really nice kid. I, I once heard Bob Huggins. I, I kid you not. He once said, um, he's the best high school rebounder I've ever seen. And I'm like, 
oh wow, you know, think of think of all the dudes he's watched. And then Rod Flowers shows up, and I'm like, this guy, really, this dude, he was. And I think he, he went to some school in Tennessee his last year, and and, and had a you know, had a nice year, and and he might have been like the nicest kid ever. I have no idea, but that dude couldn't play a lick. Now I, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so I have not seen Ronald Allen since he left UC, and I'm in Los Angeles, California, and uh, a friend of mine um, who's on the completely other side of town. My nephew and I are at the beach, and. So my nephew's 19 years old, so he, he loves basketball. He's all into it. So my friend said, hey, let's meet up. Um, I'm like, okay, let's pick a spot in between. He goes, you know what? The Drew League is playing today. Yeah. You know, the Pro League. So, And I said to my nephew, hey, you want to go to the Drew League? And he's like, oh, my God, I hear about it on, you know, Twitter and Instagram. I always see it. Let's, let's go. <clears throat> so we go to the Drew League. We walk in. Swaggy P's right there. He's talking loud. My nephew's like, oh, my God, that's Swaggy P. So we take two steps in the door, turn left, and there's a massive human being standing in front of us. And my nephew's like, man, who's that? And so the guy looks at me. I look at him, and I go, Ronald Allen? (laughs) He's like, Meacham? I swear to you, it was him. And I said, oh, my God. My nephew's like, you know him? To your point, he looks like an NBA player. He He does. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was probably the biggest guy in the gym, and so he coaches high school basketball in uh, I believe in Compton, in California right now. That's one of the better teams in Los Angeles. So we we caught up, took a picture and everything together. I have to send it to you, but I know you're gonna make fun of the shorts I was wearing. And of keep course. In mind, I was at the beach, and those were the shorts <laughs> I had on at the beach. So it, we just. Okay. So really quick, but like Ronald Allen, you know, obviously the the story you're you know you're you're glad it worked out for him because you know he he almost literally washed on to the Cincinnati campus because he was going to Xavier College in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Hurricane Katrina hits. Uh, he relocates to Cincinnati. That's the, the Andy Kennedy year, and so you know he's he's taking anybody he can get to fill out the roster, and. Uh, if, if memory serves me correct, I believe that you know their first exhibition game. Uh, Ronald Allen checks in, and I'm like looking at this guy, like, wow, <laughs> how do we get this dude? Uh-huh. And I, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I may have, I may have the game confused with another one, but he, he makes maybe like his first two threes, um, and I'm like, I'm with my buddy Rich at the game, going. And this guy's going to be really good. I mean, you know, things aren't going to put this guy in the same team with you know, Eric Hicks and uh, Cedric McGowan, and we might be pretty good. And uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, he, hey, Ronald Allen is probably a really nice guy. I mean, I, you know, not, not no statement about his character or anything, but um, you could kind of tell that he had an opinion of himself as, as a basketball player that maybe didn't mesh with reality. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, he was on the, the t- Knicks first team. And I mean, I'm thinking like, all right, this team's going to be really bad. Ronald will get some time. And I think by the end of the year, Mick's like, I can't even put this guy in the game with, with this team. Yep. Uh, he was, uh, he was not good, but you know, um, he got to play two seasons of Big East basketball and that's probably not something he was counting on when he was in Louisiana. So, um, hopefully, Things have worked out well for him, but he is a a very memorable Bearcat as far as I'm concerned. 
I will make sure he hears this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I will make sure. Oh, good stuff, man. Hey, Bob, I really appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to coming on your show when the basketball season starts up. And we definitely have to do this again. Anytime. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right, Mo. You take care, bud. You got it, man. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.